Wow, that was encouraging worship, wasn't it? Thanks, Ben, for encouraging exhortation as well. I'm uh, going to share something a little bit different today from the book of Jonah. There we go. That's different. We're talking faith and fear and all these things, and I'm heading into the book of Jonah. But I felt that's God put on my heart today, and uh, it's a very unique book. You probably all know a little bit. I'm sure we all know a little bit about the story, something about a guy running from what he should do and finishes up in the belly of a whale, you know. And Jesus referred to him. He's obviously a real guy that really happened because Jesus said uh, when they asked him for a sign of, uh, of, you know, a sign to prove himself, he said uh, there'll be no sign given to a wicked and perverse generation except the sign of Jonah. And, uh, you know, so the whole thing about Jonah speaks of Jesus as well. It's a very unique book. So if you've got a Bible uh, on your phone, it's only four little chapters. I'm not going to read it through, but I encourage you to to look at it. Uh, It's in the Prophets, which is uh, in sort of getting towards the end of the Old Testament. Now, I've got to find it. I haven't. Open. Here we go, Jonah, it's after Obadiah, you've probably never heard of him either, and Amos, it's after them, Jonah. Okay, I'm wanting to look at it because there's some good lessons here, and I'm wanting to just talk about the story, look into what this is about, and I believe there's some good lessons for us, some things we can draw. It's... Uh, Like I said, it's in amongst all these prophetic books, prophets, people that spoke the word of the Lord. In fact, it actually starts off that way. If you look at chapter 1, it begins like this. It says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Probably not pronouncing that right. but, um, But instead of going on with suddenly all these prophetic oracles and things that the prophet had said, suddenly we get into a story. A story about the prophet. And like I said, it's true because Jesus made reference to it. It's, but it's more than just a story about a rebellious prophet who disobeys God and gets swallowed by some big fish. It's like a parable. It's like some of the parables that Jesus taught where he told parables and it's like people would engage with the story and suddenly they'd feel like, they were a little bit set up in the story and suddenly it was speaking to them as well. And this, this story does this a bit to us too as we read through it. We kind of identify with certain things in the story and it speaks to us as well. It's actually an interesting book because it's full of satire. Do you know what satire is? Who, who can give me a good definition of satire because I can't think of it while I'm here? It's like, uh, you know, showing the irony of things and contrasting things. And it's a bit like you watch some, some of those late night shows where they make jokes of people and life and things. It's satire. Um, and it's satire from the very start because it says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. Now, Jonah means dove means he's, you know, like pure, gentle, peaceful. And a matter time means faithfulness. And this sure ain't Jonah. This is not Jonah. I mean, Jonah, you, th- you would, you know, the more I read this the last few days, I thought, this guy is no hero. 
This guy, you know, you don't want to be like Jonah. The lessons we're going to get out of here are don't do what Jonah did. Don't get an attitude like Jonah. Don't behave like Jonah. It doesn't go good. So, you know, it, it, it is full of satire. Jonah runs from God rather than obey God. He's got the hard heart. He is the, he is the bad guy in the story. God needs to take extreme measures to get him back on mission. And I tell you, they're extreme. He ends up in the belly of a whale. Now, I've sort of, sort of resisted God on some things. I've been a bit difficult, like all of us do. You know, God wants us to grow. God wants us to learn. God wants us to go forward and we dig in our heels or we resist. Maybe we've got a wife who tries to encourage us go on with God and do things and we get attitudes and we get angry or maybe you've got friends, you know, whatever it is. We all have times where, you know, we don't go forward. But, but, uh, but Jonah does not follow God. He's got the hard heart. Even after being in the whale, he remains angry right to the very end. He sticks with his attitude. He'd rather die than fit with God's agenda. The good guys, strangely enough, are, are the sailors. Now, when I was young, sailors had tattoos and were mean guys and down at the wharfs and maybe a few criminals. I used to be a bookies clerk and a lot of the bookies were funded by wharfies and, and sort of all sorts of things. And, you know, it was all, you know, sailors weren't always great guys. And the people in Nineveh, I mean, you read about them in your ancient history books they're not a nice bunch, and they are the soft-hearted bunch that repent at the sniff of a prophecy and a word from God. They just go with God. Jonah, I don't know any, you may correct me, I don't know any other prophet who runs from God like this. Okay? And it's helpful for us to appreciate the context, perhaps, of why Jonah was so reluctant to do what he was told. Um, you know, I've, I've, I'm sort of not too hard on Jonah because Jonah was a Jew and Nineveh, whereas where he was asked to go to with a prophecy to tell them that they had, what does it say? Uh, you know, they got, uh, let me read this. When he eventually gets the prophecy out in Nineveh, it says, yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. So that's his message. That's what he's called to give. But Assyria is a military superpower in its day. It's the most cruel and violent of empires, perhaps, of the ancient world. In London, you can go into museums and see parts of the palace walls where they had pictures of their conquests. Uh, it shows how they would skin people alive and impale them, you know, just to make sure you got the message that we're the boss here. There's other accounts of scorching their enemies alive and decorating their walls and their pyramids with their skins. I mean, these are violent, cruel, militarily strong, economically strong, the world power of the day. And Israel has been subjected to their anger and, their, and the way they behave. And he doesn't like them. He doesn't like them at all. And Nineveh is actually in Mosul. It is the modern, you know, if you went to find it today, it would be where Mosul is, where the ISIS 
took control. It's in Iraq. And uh, in its day, when, when Nineveh was the, the capital of this empire, it was marvellous in its appearance. It had walls that were 100 feet high. You could run four chariots across the actual walls. Beautiful palaces, the, the best of gardens. There was 15 gates that were guarded by colossal lions and bulls that opened up into the city. It's like watching a Lord of the Rings movie, you know. It's just really spectacular. They had 70 halls. As great as its wealth was, so great was its wickedness. It's full of idolatry, prostitution, witchcraft and violence. Now, to a good law-abiding Jew, they are not my friend. They are my enemy. And they are coming for me. And they will want, you know, these were the guys that took the northern kingdom into captivity. You know, they destroyed them. So Israel suffered attacks up until then. And, and in Jonah's mind, Nineveh is, only deserves one thing, and it's judgment. They need to be removed from the face of the earth. Jonah had no concern about Nineveh. He wants nothing to do with them. And he is shocked when God comes to him and wants him to go and warn Nineveh. He resents the fact that God would even get this idea in his head that he has to go and preach to these people that he, 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 he actually probably more hates than fears. It's like asking a rabbi to walk into Berlin in 1941 and tell the Nazi regime to repent. It's like that saying in the... Uh, I was watching Lord of the Rings lately, and the little uh, the little uh, um, midget guy. What, what were they called? Those guys, not 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 the Obert, the the guy with the axe. What was he? The, uh, the the dwarfs. The dwarf goes, and there was one battle. He said, "Others of success low, chance of death high. Let me at it." You know, <laughs> you know, he wants to go. You know, but it's not fear that drives. Uh, Jonah to run from God's command. He's not, he's not fearful. The reason he runs from God's command is clearly explained in this book. If you go to chapter 4, we might put it up there. Uh, it's in verse, verse 2. It says, and he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? In my country, this is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. His issue, he knows what God's like. He knows God is merciful and kind and gracious. In fact, this is an Old Testament phrase that's used about 15 times that explains the nature of God. It's actually the verse when Mo, 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 Moses was up on the mountain when he got the law, and the first time that God spoke to Israel, in a sense, of tried to give the picture of who he was. This is God saying, this is who I am. I'm gracious. I'm merciful. I'm kind, I'm compassionate, I relent from, uh, you know, from doing harm to people. This is God's heart. And Jonah, 
he throws this back as an insult to God. This is towards the end of the story. This is after he's been in the belly of the whale. This is after everything. He says, God, I know what you're like and I do not want to do it. You know, this guy's got attitude. This guy is... The more I'm reading this last night, I'm thinking, this guy, I don't want to be like this guy. I don't want to get my heart like this. Jonah knew that God wanted... God, um, um, Jonah knew that right at the depth of God's heart was the fact that he had compassion on his enemies. I tell you, that's what Jesus put as a bar for us all. You know, love our enemies. Ben talked last week about forgiveness and how it can get a root in our hearts and we can be unforgiving and how it can do us so much, so, so much harm. Jesus went to the point of saying, love your enemies. Forgive them. Forgive those that, uh, you know, this is how we display the heart of God. Jonah does not want this plan that God's got in mind to work out. And we'll get into the story a little more, but Jonah even goes to the extent of, I believe, from what I read from what one guy was saying, he tries to sabotage the whole mission. He tries to, he tries to just muddy the water he tries to do, you know, he, he, he is working against God the whole way. And this is the contrast through the whole story, the uh, 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 irony and the satire. We've got a wicked nation that have got the soft hearts who are hearing the warning from the owner of God's uh, uh, judgment and they repent. They repent on just the sniff of it. They are so soft and... and, and and, and Jonah is rebellious, he's religious, and he hates his enemies. Um, so I want to look. Um, Jonah is a sign, but he's like a warning sign. And I want to look at three lessons, maybe, maybe there's lots more in here, and you can read the, the book. But I want to talk about three things that I drew out for it. The first one is never run from God. Never run from what God's wanting to do in your life because it's all downhill. It's all downhill. Let me read you. In 1 verse 3, But Jonah ran to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. The presence of the Lord is in one place and he's going the other direction. Instead of going east to Nineveh, East is that way. So instead of going east to Nineveh, he heads as far west as he can go in the opposite direction to the coast of Spain. He's on his way. And then as you read through it, it talks about he went down to Joppa, got himself a ticket on a boat. And then it says he went down into the ship. And then Jonah went, it says, down into the inner parts of the ship. And then it says he laid down. And he was fast asleep. The more he went down, the more spiritually asleep he got. Then he, then he finds himself hurled into the sea. He's got, he's, he's got more down to go. Then the Lord appoints a great fish. You know, the Lord appoints a fish for him. The amazing thing is this fish, this, this, that on his way down, the grace of God to send a fish 
that the thing that he thought was going to destroy, destroy, destroy him was the mercy of God to get him out and swallows him up. Then he goes down, in, not, he's not just in the fish, he's in the belly of the fish. And then it goes on like in chapter 2, verse 5, it's got this thing, it says, the waters closed in on me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. He's like, he's down as low as you can get. This fish has probably said, oh, my job is to get him down as low as I can. I've got to get him right down here. So Jonah is unwilling to obey God and this job that God's got for him is just a, is just a stumbling block to him. Um, um, Jonah is unwilling to grow. He's unwilling to go forward with what God wants. He's asleep. He's naturally asleep. I mean, the sailors are the good guys. They're spiritually awake. They wake him up. Can, can you pray? I mean, took the sailors to get him to pray. The prophet. I mean, it's just, it's just, it's just like a comic book. And uh, tell him to wake up. Wake up and call on your God. Sometimes it takes, almost takes the world to wake us up. Takes situations to wake us up. We should be the people praying. We should be the ones with soft hearts. We should be the one compassionate, loving our enemies. And here, you know, we can slip into all sorts of things and be spiritually dead, religious, have all sorts of attitudes perhaps, and the world needs to wake us up. This was Jonah's response when he was asked, uh, who he was and who his God was. He says, I'm a Hebrew and I fear the Lord. I mean, the guy's joking. He's not telling the truth. He's not fearing God. He says, I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. The God who made the sea, he fears him and he's happy to go get in a ship when he's running away from God. I think he thought he could get away with this. You know, God is so involved in our lives. He so loves us. He's so committed to our growth. He's bought us with a price and he's involved in us going forward. He's so good. The Jonah could not care less about the sailors' lives. They were going to die because of his disobedience. And Jonah was not worried about any loss of innocent life. He couldn't care less. He'd rather keep going down, down, down than have anything to do with God showing compassion on his enemies. When I read all that, I think, I just want to cooperate with God. I just want to work with you, Lord. I just know you're good. I know you're compassionate. I know you're kind. I know that's who you are. And sometimes I'm blind. And sometimes I don't see what you're doing in my life. And sometimes I resist. But God, help me to keep my heart soft. Help me to work with you. And don't let there be any area of my life where I'm disobeying and I'm running from you. Because if I'm resisting you and running from you and going the opposite way to what you want, it ain't going to be good. It ain't going to work out for me. And it's likely that something will happen, a storm, a fish or things, and God will rescue me, but he'll still want me to change. I need to turn to God and I need to have a soft heart and I need to be uh, just to cooperate with God. That, that's the first lesson from this little story I thought about Jonah. The second one is God is in control. You read this story 
and you realize God is so in control. It actually says in 1 verse 4, But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Um, you know, God sent, God sent the storm. And sometimes we're in storms, and some, sometimes we can go through trials, difficulties in life, and we can spiritualize them a bit much and think, oh, is God doing this or that, and our hearts are good and our hearts are fine, and we can make too much of it. But there are times where circumstances happen, and God is working out a purpose for us, and he's wanting, he's wanting to bring change in our lives. Don't be fooled into thinking that running the opposite way from what God's wanting to do does not have consequences. Storms, you might just find there's a storm. You might just find there's, there's some fish coming your way. They can attract it. Proverbs is a good read. The book of Proverbs is a good read to open our eyes. God is jealous over us. We're bought with a price. He will chase us. He will allow storms. He'll work through circumstances, always for our good and always to bring the best for us and his good intentions for us. Look at all the stories of Scripture. Joseph, Jacob, David, Moses. God worked in each one of these lives redemptively. Joseph is just the most best story where at the end of his life, after all he'd been through, after all he'd suffered, he could still say to his brothers, he could still stand there and forgive them. They thought he was going to turn on them at the end. And he had a heart that had been changed. And he had a heart that loved his brothers. And he said, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. He didn't worry. He knew that all these things had worked together for good. My character, my growth, this is my experience. My character and my growth matters more to God than my comfort. Do you find that? Sometimes God seems to be a little indifferent to my comfort. Um, I like comfortable places. I like sitting in the lounge room. I'm thinking about getting a bigger TV, you know. I don't buy much stuff for myself when I'm thinking, I might get a bigger TV. But something in me says, God, are you happy with me with a bigger TV, you know. I don't mean I go on like that. But, you know, it's like, I, don't, I like comfort. I like watching a good show. I, like, I watch law... Lord of the Rings the other day. I got through the first two. I'm going to watch the third one pretty soon, you know. Like a good movie. Like a good bit of comfort. Too much and I settle back. Too much and I ease off, you know. And God, God, you know, life brings things. And God is above everything else committed to me becoming like Jesus. He's committed, he's committed to me growing. He's committed to me developing faith like Ben shared before. He's committed to me having humility in my heart. He's committed to me getting patience. You know, he's committed to all these things. He wants to work the fruit of the Spirit in, in our lives. And, you know, strange as it is, sometimes the greatest growth comes out of storms, you know. I don't know why. But in the storm, we move towards God. Jonah, in the storm, in that belly of the fish, when he hit bottom, uh, it became a vehicle for God's grace and, uh, and what did he do? What did he do? Jonah was asleep in the boat, but he wasn't asleep in the belly of the whale. In the whale's belly, 
he has the most fantastic prayer. Read this prayer. This is, all, this is poetry. This is passion. This is something real with God. Um, nothing like some seaweed around your head to get you praying, you know. And, and, what, and, and what a prayer. You can read through it and unpack it. About It'll give you some guidance to how to pray in your darkest times. It begins with a cry for help. It says, it says like this, I called out to the Lord out of my distress and he answered me. I mean, that is, that is just so true. You know, all you've got to do sometimes when you feel like you're down lower than you should, you're in circumstances that are beyond hope, you just call on God and he answers you out of your distress. There's got to be a real cry, not a religious kind of... I mean, Jonah was religious. Jonah had attitude, but some way down when he got down here, suddenly God, God, God got him to pray real prayers and he called out for help. And God answered him. How amazing. The times when we feel like God is most far away, God is actually the most close to us. He meets us there. It says here, um, Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice, for you cast me into the deep. Jonah starts seeing God's hand in his circumstances. Like Joseph, he's, he's seeing God as working this all out for good. You cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, and yet I shall look again upon your, your holy temple. He's going to look again. He's going to turn. It brought repentance into his heart. He starts to get thankful. It goes on. The, the, the waters closed in uh, over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I mean, I'm really in a, in, in a, in a deep, dark place. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit. Oh, Lord my God, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. There's got to be a place where we start to remember the goodness of the Lord and remember how kind he is and how good he is. He started to get his perspective of God to change. Anyway, soon after that in verse 10, after this good prayer, the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah up onto dry land. Only took a prayer and he was out. My third point is, so anyway, my second point is God, God is in control. My first point was don't run from what God's doing in your life. Just cooperate with him. The third thing is just trust God. Just know that he's in control and um, maybe there's a good lesson there to pray. The last thing I've got here is God forgives his enemies. It's good advice to do the same. It's good advice to have that kind of attitude in our heart, at our very core, to be a people that are gracious, to have the grace of God in our lives. This would have to be the most central part of the story, that God is gracious, compassionate and slow to anger, willing to forgive his enemies, and we are called to do the same. When Jonah gets another chance 
to go to Nineveh. This is the bit that I find intriguing in chapter 3. He, um, he's, it tell, God tells him, where is it? Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. Okay, Jonah, let's go back to where we were. It's funny how God always takes you back to where you, you got off the track. Just fit in with this, Jonah. And then it says, but it, the way it reads, Jonah has still got a problem and he still tries to sabotage the thing. It's, you read through here and it says that the city is three days to walk, walk across and Jonah doesn't head for the palace of the king. I think if I'm telling a city to repent, I've got to go to the king. It says to him, he goes one day, he sort of gets in the, I don't know where he's wound up in the city, and he just says in, in Hebrew, he says five words. In our translation, it's eight. It says, yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Um, I wonder, did he shorten the message? I wonder, did God have a little bit more to say? You know, do you, do you just wonder? He, he, you know, he's got attitude still. 40 days, Nineveh will be overthrown. You know, take it or leave it. You know, it's like, and yet he never tells them about their sin. He never gives them a why. He never tells them, look, God has seen your hearts. He sees the wickedness of this land. If you would turn to him and repent, he will relent from what he has decided to do and he will forgive. You know what I mean? There's, there's none of that. It's like... 40 days, you've had it, you know? Doesn't give them a why, and there's no mention of God. Yet even despite what Jonah's trying to do, the Ninevites are so soft, they not only believe the little bit of his message, they produce fruits of repentance. The message goes viral. Somehow it reaches the king. And then it talks about the king, and it says, he arose from his throne removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. I mean, that is a good soft heart. That's like really soft. He's so soft he puts sackcloth on the cattle. He, gets, he tells the animals they can't eat or drink. You know what I mean? This is, this is how soft this guy got. This is Nineveh. I mean, everything you read about them, you'd, you feel like it's ISIS coming for you. But they are soft. He proclaims a fast. And then this is the king's command. Call on God mightily. Get serious. Call on God and turn from their evil ways and from, and from the violence that is in his hands. And then it, you read on. It says, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that, that he had said that he would do and he did not do it. It's just so God. You would think the prophet, you would think Jonah. I mean, if, if we gave Ben a ministry, if Ben got a dream from God and got told, I want you to go down to Sydney and I want you to go in there and talk to the officials and I got a word for repentance and, and he went down there and gave the word of the Lord and the whole city turned to God. Everybody was... Fasting for three days, weeping before God, getting right with God. I would think Ben would 
be a bit excited. He'd think, you know, my, my ministry's going well. You know, God's working with me. Not Jonah. Not Jonah. No, no, no. You would think, he would think this was a good outcome. The whole city turned to God. No, no. He's, ang- he's angry. He's angry. And I don't know how many times in this book he wants to die. And again, he wants to die. Jonah would rather die than live with a merciful, compassionate God who loves his enemies. You know, and God is so gracious. God is so kind. Just look at verse, chapter 4, verse 4. This is what he says. God comes along to Jonah and says, do you do well to be angry? You know, it's almost like a, you know, God's not slapping him or anything. He's just, Jonah, is this okay? Jonah, you know, wanting Jonah to think about what he's doing. You know what Jonah does to that lovely, soft voice of God? It says, Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what should become of the city. I mean, isn't that attitude, eh? I'm going to... You know, I think he still believed that the city was going to get overthrown. It was going to get destroyed. And this is the bit, what one guy I read said, because Jonah is so ticked off with God, he actually feels God has sort of set him up. Because his five words, 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown, that word, that Hebrew word is H-A-P-A-K, so however that's pronounced, hapak. And like many Jewish words, it depends on the context, what it means. Like when you look in Hosea 7-8, it talks about uh, uh, Ephraim is like a cake not turned. That, that's the word habak. It's like you don't turn. In another place it, in, in Lamentations where Jeremiah says, Sodom, which was uh, 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 overthrown in a moment, like the word destroyed. And then there's another place it reads in Psalms, where it says, you have turned for me my mourning into dancing. There's another way it can read like it's, it's, a, it's a transformation. It's a change that God's made. I wonder which one Jonah was putting his money on. He putting his money on, it's going to be destroyed. He says, just let me, I'm just going out, getting me booth, and I'm sitting out on the hill there, and I'm just going to see what's going to happen to this city. I'm still committed to my attitude, I'm still committed to this place being destroyed. And he heads out there. You know, his, his God, forever gracious, provides him a leafy plant for shade. It's getting hot out there because the booth starts to wither and Jonah's, maybe he's a bit bald because, you know, he's an angry guy. Maybe that's how you get when you get old and bald, I don't know. Anyway, Deb tells me I need to watch, I don't get grumpy. And um, there's... He provides some shade for his head. And Jonah, for the first time in this book, is happy. And he's happy for this, for, this pl- for this plant that's grown up, that's given him shade to his booth while he waits for the city to be destroyed. And then God provides a worm. You know, this is just, this is just fascinating. God provides a worm which eats the leafy plant and Jonah grows faint and he wants to die. Chapter 4, verse 9, then God asks, do you do well to be angry for the plant? 
And Jonah says, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. He, this guy's committed to his attitude. If there's one lesson, don't let your heart get ungracious. Don't get an attitude to your enemies. Love your enemies. Uh, it's challenging, but that is the heart of God. Uh, and God's response is, this is in chapter 4, verse 10. You pitied the plant for which you did not labour, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left? Probably referring to kids, eh? City is full of kids who don't know their right hand from the left and also much cattle. God's even concerned about the cattle. Jonah is a stranger to the grace of God. We need to be associated and a people of grace. It's just all through the story. Jonah um, just shows no care and it's the sailors and it's the city and everyone else that are the good, good guys. Jonah is absorbed by his own problem. He's more concerned about the welfare um, of himself, you know, and of a, a plant. <clears throat> you know, um, Jonah, uh, I've said all that. Jonah sees Nineveh as the worst people in the world. But in this story, the worst guy is Jonah. It's his attitude. Some would say that in the first half of the book, Jonah plays the prodigal son who ran away from his father. Finished up in a low place and God rescued him. In the second half, he plays the older brother. That's pretty true, isn't it? He's got that attitude where, remember the older brother resented that the prodigal came home and God showed mercy and God loved and wanted to restore him and put a ring and kill the fatted calf and all these things. And the older brother is just sitting there. Uh, it's, just, it's just eating him up. And he, he is angry with God for God's graciousness. Are we okay? Are we okay with a God that loves our enemies? Are we comfortable? Do we guard our hearts from becoming religious or self-righteous like Jonah? God loves, God just doesn't love his enemies. He loves my enemies. And he expects me to love my enemies as well. Anyway, a couple of lessons from Jonah today, a little practical thing. But one thing overall in the story, like any of these books, they talk about Jesus. Jesus is all through it. And the gospel is all through it. And it's obvious how Jesus and the, and the gospel is, is just weaved through the whole story. The moment that Jonah went under the water, the storm switched off as suddenly as a light being turned off. Jonah was thrown into the sea for his own sin. But Jesus um, said that Jonah spoke of him. And Jesus said, the Son of Man will be um, in the, was it, in, in the belly of the, you know, in the grave for three days and three nights, like, like Jonah. 
Jonah was thrown into the sea for his own sin, but Jesus was thrown into the ultimate storm for our sin. Jonah was tossed into the sea to save the sailors. Jesus was tossed into the ultimate sea and, and, in, and into the depths of hell to save all of us. And uh, your, my last little phrase, your sins are no match for the mercy of God. And uh, I just love this, this story because it speaks of the wonderful grace of God and his love and just how he even speaks to this Jonah who's just one rebellious prophet with attitude and God is still kind to him, sends a fish along, which you would think is something bad, but it was his rescue boat, you know, got him out. And even towards the end, um, you know, God's still trying trying to soften his heart and get him right. And God is committed to our growth. And I just encourage with, with what I read, and I hope you're encouraged today as well. God bless you. Thank you, Jared. That was great. Um, one good heart check to see how we're doing is, like Jonah, if we're withdrawing from God, it's a good reason to have a look at our heart. And look at our motives. Another thing is if we're withdrawing from people. If we're pulling back from community, sometimes we need to have another look. and What are our motives? What's going on? What's our attitude like? And so I encourage you with that. Thanks very much, Jared. All right, just a couple of announcements before we go. Next week, we've got Alan Myers here. If you don't know Alan, he's he's actually been a friend of our church for quite some time. and, And he runs some some amazing courses, an amazing preacher, um, and he's going to be here next Sunday. Um, he's also here for a men's, um, uh, a men's dinner um, on Saturday, this Saturday coming at 6 p.m., so that'll be here in the church, so make sure you um, let Jared know if you're coming to that so that there's enough steaks. Um, you can burgers, you can um, RSVP for two if you Adrian, um, but that'll be an amazing event, that'll be really good, um, he, he's a great speaker and he's going to encourage us men, um, also on Saturday morning, um, he's coming to do some leadership training, so um, if, if you want some training in ministry, this is open to the whole church, 9.30 Saturday morning in the cafe as well, um, he's going to be here doing a Q&A, uh, which is going to be super helpful for those who are pursuing ministry, want to serve more, more effectively. By the way, that's everybody here, so um, make yourself available if you are available for that. Um, it's going to be a good weekend next weekend. Um, we're taking Jared's um, sermon seriously. We're going to get some seaweed around our, maybe not around the head, but maybe around a toe. We're heading off to the beach for a couple of weeks, and we'll be back ready to run with you guys in the next season. Um, have an amazing day, and thanks for coming.